Tonight we're going to talk about your words, especially how they work and should be done and how you should talk and respond on the internet and on media and just everyday conversations in life. Um, a book that I use quite a bit to put some of the quotes and things together tonight I want to recommend to you. Um, it's called A Way with Words. Um, using your, our online conversations for good. The, the author's name is Daniel Darling. He's a, he's a Christian guy. He's a really, really well-written uh, book. You'll find to be convicting and inf- informational and encouraging and probing and all the other quick good things that go with it. So I highly recommend it if, you, if this is the thing that you want to study on or sh- you maybe even struggle with. Uh, it be a good find and pick up for you to do that. So that's my recommendation tonight for that. We're going to look at a number of different passages. The first one, if you'll just turn there tonight, this is very more of a topical message. Proverbs 18, we're going to start there. There'll be a number of them we'll turn to here in Proverbs and James. If you're going to think about your words and what you should say and how you should say them and how they're influential, I would suggest Proverbs and then James in that order. Some even call James the Proverbs of the New Testament. And you'll see why when we get there and talk about words. Words are important, aren't they? Memorable, actually. I was going to ask Tim Raver or, or Sarah Joy, do you remember any of your children what their first word they ever spoke was? Now, Tim's going to say daddy, and Sarah Joy's going to say mommy, you know. I remember Ariana's first full sentence. First sentence was? Can I please have a napkin? Can I please have a napkin? Well, that is a new one. Tim, do you remember? You don't remember? Yes. Well, Lance is here, and, and so tonight I can tell you his first word. And I always thought it would be daddy. It wasn't daddy. It wasn't mommy. You know what Lance's first word was? No. <laughs> no, I don't want that. <laughs> I don't even know if that's true, but it sounded funny, didn't it? I mean, really? Um, we remember what our kids say, um, how they said it. Um, words are important. You remember words, and words, been, words have been huge in my life. Um, I didn't really even do it on purpose, but when I was about 12 years old, I walked into my dad one night when he was laying in his bed getting ready to go to sleep. And then I did it a, couple, a number more times after that. But my dad would go to bed and he would read. He would get a book and he would just read for maybe 30, 40 minutes. I'd, I'd come in a couple times and the book was right here on his chest and he was already asleep with a lamp on still. You know, just reading. And so I never read hardly anything until I was about 12. And so my dad did it and I said, do you have a really good book? So he gave me this kind of like, I don't know what you'd call it, like a science fiction fantasy kind of book where these animals could talk and all this stuff. And I really liked it. And that's where it all began for me. And so ever since, I've kind of become obsessed with reading. And I love reading all the words in it. I love libraries. Um, And my whole life has become speaking words. Um, And I have come to the realization, perhaps more than the average person because of my uh, position in life, that words change lives. I mean, I think that not because of me standing here, but I think you come to church, and one of the reasons is in the hope that what? That the words that you hear from God 
will change you, right? I mean, isn't that why you come? Isn't that why you tune in? Because you think that there's something God can tell you from his word that will really make a difference in your life. So it's not just books, but we read newspapers, um, the things we remember. Is it funny, the words you hear in music? I, I wish people, especially our young people, here's a little jab, ready? I wish you knew as many scriptures as you do lyrics to songs. I mean, because our young people today, and even, you know, over the years, all of us, I mean, half the songs or more, I don't need a hymn book for them, because I got them memorized. I've been singing them for 50 years, right? And so, so we have a lot of things, we memorize we movies, famous lines, someone will say a line, and you know immediately where that we do that at our house, you, you say a line, you know exactly what movie it came from, and a TV show, um, radio, on, you know, whatever it is, words are huge, so it's obvious if you know scripture, you should care about words. I mean, I think that's a pretty acceptable uh, proposition. And more importantly, you should care about how you use them, um, both in your everyday conversations and particularly tonight in application, um, how we use them online. One of my favorite verses that I think is the most powerful, and it has that word in it actually, when it comes to giving you how weighty your words are. Um, turn there or you can just listen. Proverbs 18.21. Listen to this. I mean, you, you can't get much more extremely important. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And those who love it will eat its fruit. So you're gonna, your words, listen, can I say it? They are either death words or life words. Let me give you an example of that. The very first major story after creation we have in Genesis is in chapter 3 when the serpent comes into the garden to tempt Eve. And you know what, the, you know what was the crux of humanity's descent into darkness and sin? It was Satan's twisted misrepresentation of God's words. He took what God said and added to him and twisted it, and Eve believed a lie about what God had said. It was Satan's words, and those words were death. And they chose the words of death over the words of life. And we have been doing it ever since. So let me tell you this. Death and life are in the power of the tongue. And so tonight... Your words are in one of those two categories. Either you're a person whose words lead to death, and maybe, I know this may sound strong, but more in line with Satan than with God. Or you're in words of life. Um, so let me tell you about that. And, and here's another passage I'd like you to turn to. Genesis chapter 1, if you'll turn there with me. There, there are numerous ones that tell us about this truth. So, so God is a God who is a speaking God, correct? Our God speaks. We would not know God tonight if he didn't speak. We would know something in general about him from creation, or we at least had the possibility of knowing that. But the reality is that you, listen, everyone in this room tonight knows God personally by faith if you're a Christian because God chose to speak to you, obviously through his word. So we have a speaking God, and he is God, and by his very nature, he acts by speaking. In fact, 
If you read Genesis, you'll find out this, that, that we only know God because that, but also speaking is also an integral part of God saving us. Not only would you not know who God is, but you wouldn't know him in a saving way if he didn't speak because the only reason you know, faith comes by what? Hearing and hearing by the, yeah, the word of God, Romans ten seventeen. So you wouldn't know him in a saving way. You wouldn't be in church tonight. You wouldn't be interested. You wouldn't be in this pew. If our God was a speaking God. Now here's the point. Where are you getting, Pastor Walker? Well, because we are made in the image of God, we also are speakers. One of the things that is a result, or an expression at least, of being in the image of God is that we also speak words. Genesis chapter 1, verse 26 said, Then God said, Let us make man in our image after our likeness. And let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his image. In the image of God, he created him. Listen, male and female. So men are not more in the image than God, uh, image of God than women are. Everyone who is a person in this world, no matter what gender, no matter what race, no matter what background, no matter what social status, we are all equally made in the image of God, all right? So God doesn't just speak words. In Christ, he came into the world as the word. He is the word of God. And all you have to do is read John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, or Hebrews chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and you'll know that that's all that God, God has spoken to us through his word. And that climax of that revelation is Jesus, his son. So the most clearest revelation, the most clearest, can I say, speaking that God has ever done was in the person of his son, Jesus Christ. And therefore, those of us who are made in his image, our greatest obligation and duty as speakers as well is to emulate ourselves after Jesus Christ. Now, if you'll notice in the Genesis text, and we don't have time to go through it all tonight, but read the rest of Genesis 1 and 2, and so you'll find that only people speak we don't animals don't speak i have two cats at home and one of them is very vocal meows all the time and i think he would like to speak but he obviously cannot now in our world what do we do though with that well we our, our companies have made billions literally billions of dollars doing what trying to humanize animals i mean how many of your kids tonight you're and maybe you're as well how many of your favorite uh, movies are about animals that can talk? I mean, isn't it where Disney started with Mickey Mouse? I mean, The Lion King, Narnia. I mean, on and on and on and on it goes. And what have we done? Well, you make animals a little bit more loving when you give them human traits. And, and we've made... And let me flip it over now, though. Don't we groan and grieve when people in life lose their human ability to speak? I can tell you, and I know that others have gone through it as well as I have, but I remember taking many visits to Kansas and to see my mom who at 70 contracted Alzheimer's and she began to forget things uh, and that was bad enough, but, but eventually after a number of years she began to forget not only just memories and events, but she forget the most basic things of life. My mom forgot how to dress herself. 
and then she forgot how to eat, and, and she couldn't remember what a spoon was for. Uh, and then she forgot how to talk, and she couldn't remember. So she'd say a couple words that were real words, and then she'd go on for two or three sentences with garbly goop type uh, things that didn't make any sense. With, they weren't words anymore. She couldn't put thoughts together. She couldn't put sentences together anymore. And you know, when you love someone, and you, it's almost like they're not really there anymore. And you have a conversation, and they try, to, they try to talk back something meaningful, but they can't because their brain doesn't have the capacity anymore with that disease to be able to do what everybody takes for granted, and that is to talk. And so people who lose the ability to talk because they've hurt their vocal cords, or people who are uh, deaf and they lose the ability to speak, and we so as a culture, we develop sign language. Why? Because we know how much of a tragedy it is when you are made in the image of God not to be able to speak words and communicate with people. It's that important. Even in Jesus' life, who was the Word of God, he went around and one of the kinds of people that he healed were people that were mute, that didn't have the ability to talk because he had compassion on them because he knew how integral it was to be able to speak words. If you would take your Bibles and turn to James chapter 3. We're going to look at a couple of texts here in chapter 3 and chapter 1 tonight. As you're turning there, I'm going to read one more passage from Proverbs just before we do read that. I'm not asking you to uh, raise your hand. Don't give me any verbal response. This is rhetorical, but how many of you have ever had words spoken to you about yourself or situations or things that you're in that actually hurt you? In fact, I, I have counseled so many people over the years. Um, even a time I, I just had my, tar, my car taken in to have it fixed at a dealership, and so... They had a, if you dropped your car off and it was going to be a few hours or a day, they would have a shuttle and they would drive you back. So uh, I got in the van of the dealership and I was being driven back and I started a conversation with this guy and he was telling me about why he didn't go to church anymore. And he said he had a conversation with his pastor and his pastor said something that really, really bothered and said something about him to him that really bothered him. And he says, and I've never gone to church ever since. I go, wow, have you ever tried to talk to him about it and get it right? No, 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 he really hurt me with what he said. I go, well, when was that? I was thinking maybe a few months ago, 30 years ago, he said. 30 years. I mean, the guy was talking like it just happened. I mean, and and have you ever had that? I mean, people tell me when they, they think of certain things about themselves, they remember the very things their parents said. You'll never be anything. You'll never amount to anything. I'm not surprised. You've always been a failure. And maybe your parents or your spouse or maybe parents who say things to their kids and they grow up and they remember it and, and they actually allow themselves to be defined by it. And so if you've ever been hurt by words, you will definitely agree with these, this proverb. Proverbs 12 and verse 18 says, There is one whose rash words, it means words that are spoken quickly, most of the time out of anger, There is one whose rash words, listen to this, are like sword thrusts. 
It's like someone takes, a, we would say, a knife and keeps jabbing you and, and, and jabbing you with it. Over, it's just like reoccurring pain. But the tongue of the wise bring healing. So on the other side, there are the words that kind of like heal wounds where people have hurt you. But there's other ones that make wounds. And I, I'm hoping that we've had more of the healing wise ones than the rash sword ones. But I'm not sure that's the case as much anymore. James tells us why this is such a problem. In chapter 3, I t- asked you to turn there. The whole chapter pretty much is about words. But he says in James 3 and verse 8, and, and, and watch, words are associated with being in the image of God. If you really fulfill the royal law according to the scripture, you shall love your neighbor as yourself, you're doing well. But if you show partiality, I'm sorry, wrong chapter, you should stop me, somebody. Uh, chapter 3, verse 8, not chapter 2. But no human being can tame the tongue. Do you see that? Underline it. No human being can tame the tongue. It takes God to tame the tongue. That's how out of control it can get. It is a restless evil, full of deadly poison. Now, now, now what's the result or repercussions of that? Remember the image of God concept? With it, we bless our Lord and Father. So let me put it in 21st century vernacular. We come to church. We sing songs and praises to God. We lift up his name. We maybe even read scripture. And we, at the same time, we bless. And then with it, we curse people. But listen to what he said. Who are made in the likeness of God. So we take a trait of being in the likeness of God speaking. And we use our tongues to defame, hurt, and perhaps ruin the lives of people who are equally made in the image of God. And he says, from the same mouth comes blessing and cursing. My brethren, these things ought not so to be. What is the root of our problem? So I'm going to give you some examples of how we should and shouldn't do things online. But I want you to know before we get to those applications and practical points... Where does it come from? Have you ever just read Facebook or any of the social media or in general? And you ever just read it and you go, shake your head and go, no way. How is that possible? Who in the world would say such a thing? Who would put something like that on there? And then you look at them and you may even know the person. and They may even claim to be a Christian. Who knows? They may even come to our church. Right? And you go, how can how can the world can you put that on there? Let me tell you what the problem is, the root of it. Jesus addressed it in Luke 6:45, not the only place, by the way. He said, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Now, if we wanted to modernize it, we'd say, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth tweets, or the mouth posts, right? So where do the things, the crazy things, the rude things, the inappropriate things? the slanderous things, the harmful, hurtful things that people post and say online, where do they come from? Hearts. Hearts that have problems. That's where they come from. Paul said it this way, another good verse to have memorized, Colossians 4, 6. He says, let our speech, listen to the comprehensiveness, always be gracious. Always be gracious. Gracious. There is not a time, no matter what anyone says to you, 
and whether they started it or not, that you should not be gracious. Paul says, let our speech always be gracious. So we've been given this tool in American technology that's a phone. And I want you to know up front, I'm not anti-phone. I have one. I'm not anti-social media. Not altogether. Well, not yet, anyways. But I am anti about what the vast majority of stuff goes on with your phone at times and on social media. Um, Association of Psychology did a survey and said 41% of Americans admit to being compulsive phone checkers. Okay, now raise your hand. How many of you checked your phone since you came to church? No, don't answer that. That's unnecessary, right? But how many of you checked it right before you came in? And how many of you, you, would not, you won't now because I said it. But how many of you going to check it right after? You're not even going to get to the parking lot or reach your car before you reach for your phone. <laughs> so what's wrong? Why, why are we like that? Because there's a kind of knowing that's good for us. We, we go on the internet and even social media and we get this feeling that we can know more. We, we, we have a feeling we can, and, and listen, epistemology is the way that you know things. And so we like to know things. We like to have information. And now more than ever before, instantaneously, we can get all this information at, the, at our fingertips. We can have all these things. And we have a constant quest for it. But I have to ask you a question because you have to come to the realization that the accumulation of knowledge can be good, but it also can be very bad. And I would tell you this, that constantly being on the internet and social media and, and, and filling your mind with all kinds of knowledge without having much discernment undermines what I would call the true quest for wisdom. I would say why it's one of the greatest, can I say, detriments you could ever let your child be involved in. Because they're filling their minds with all kind of knowledge, and most of it is very worldly. And they will, it will, I can tell you this, it will completely marginalize, if not worse, push, push out of your life of your children completely, and your own, don't be foolish, your own, a quest for true wisdom. And we wonder why our kids think the way they do and have the minds that they do when they spend so much time on their phones and on the internet. Let me tell you pretty Honestly, internet offers a false promise that you can have infinite, intelligent wisdom apart from God. And that is exactly the lie that Satan used on Adam and Eve in the garden. I read a book this week, and here's what the author said. I feel a subtle sense of control when I'm on my phone. Here's what the person said. I kind of feel like, although I would never say it, that I don't actually need God. Now listen to this. The next paragraph he writes, when I'm connected to my phone, I often feel like I don't need God because I feel like I am kind of like God. I have all this knowledge at my fingertips. Listen, but, it, this is, but when I'm connect, disconnected from my phone, I know I need God because I feel more like a creature. Because I just don't have all this knowledge on all these subjects at my fingertips. I have to think on my own, he says. So you have an iPad or a computer or a phone. What do you do with it? Well, let me tell you this. 
Some of it because of pornography and a bunch of other things like that and, and other things as well can not only be just bad for you and your marriage or your family or your kids, it can be damning to your life eternally. So let me say the strongest measure you should take and not be afraid to do so, even if it's for a time, would be the words of Jesus in Matthew 5, 29. If your right eye offends you, pluck it out. Because it's better to go into life maimed than it is to go into hell. Right? So here's what Jesus said. You better get serious about it. So I can tell you this. Some parents, may you hear me tonight? You need to go home and change your whole way of thinking about your and your kids' social media and internet interaction. Rethink it all together. I'll, I'll tell you up front, they won't like it. They're going to be mad. They're going to talk about how bad you are to their friends. And they're going to be upset with you, boycott you, give you the silent treatment, on and on. Can I tell you this? It doesn't matter because you're going to save their souls. Jesus said, you better get serious about it. You pluck it out if you have to. Get rid of it. Don't have them in your house if you need to, if that's how serious it can get. Let me give you another perspective. Tony Rinke, who wrote a book called, and I have, called Competing Spectacles, meaning your glasses. He said this, I have noticed a correlation in my own life between my frivolous time online and my prayerlessness. Prayerlessness may be the fault of my media, but it is most certainly the fault of my heart. In the little cracks of time in my day, with the limited attention that I give, I am more apt to check or feel, uh, feed my social media than I am to pray. For, for him, one of the things in his life was, the more I'm on social media, the less I'm on my knees. I, have, I haven't met anyone yet, not that there might be someone out there, I've never, said, I've never met anyone who said that they probably, the more time they spend on the internet, the more that close they feel to God. I've never felt, I've never heard that. That they memorize more scripture, read more of the Bible, pray better, reach people better, serve others better, because the more they spend on the internet, I've never heard that, and I'm not sure I ever will. And if I did, I hate to say it, I probably wouldn't believe it. Because of, this last line, because of my negligence, God grows increasingly distant in my life. The little time we have with the crazy busy schedules that we have, we cannot waste it on the internet. James 1, in my estimation, may be the most important verse when it comes to how you should speak in daily conversations and how you should use your words on the internet, social media, is found in this passage. You probably know it by heart, but I don't know if you live it that way. James 1.19, know this, my beloved brothers. Let every person be quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to anger. For the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. I don't know if you heard the story of Dominique Moran. I'm sorry, Moran. Um, basically, her life was nearly destroyed by the internet. She was a college student in Minnesota working at Chipotle. She was working her way through college trying to pay off her college bills. And overnight, she became a symbol of racism. 
She was universally condemned on social media, major news networks. She was fired from her job. Um, There was a video of her supposed misdeeds that was seen by 7 million people on the internet. The only problem was uh, Dominique Moran was a Mexican-American and did not do anything that the accusers, or they called it the digital mob, claimed she did. She was fired for, for it. She got death threats on members of her family. She had the guy that owned the Chipotle was threatened. And as a follower of Christ, she could hardly know what to make of it. It wasn't until a guy guy named Andrew Hallworth investigated her story because he thought it was questionable. And he went through the details of her Twitter story and found the accusations to be false. She was acquitted of all those things. And here's what she said. She said, when the story was found out to be false, she goes, no apologies. No one ever came back for slandering me, threatening me. None of the news workers, none of the news uh, companies came back. None of the social media that attacked her, not one. As a result, someone's commentating on the story said this, Today's mobs are not found in streets with sticks and stones. They are dressed nicely in Offices, office cubbyholes sitting, listen to this, sitting quietly in church pews and sipping coffee in their air-conditioned homes. The mobs are us. Robert Dreyer also comments, and he says this, a mob that is on the side of justice is no less a mob. We find it, and if you're honest with yourself, you'll admit this, we find it tempting to post something without stopping to consider whether at all it's really true. And one author I read, I thought, asked a really good question. He said, even if it is true, is it right to join a mob whose intent is destroying someone's reputation or their life? And you ask yourself when you read these things, how does it happen? How do people jump on the bandwagon so quickly? And they immediately make posts and things, and they don't even take the time to research to find out whether it's true, all the things that have been said, or what they're even saying. So what, why does it happen? Well, there's a term for it. It's called confirmation bias. Now, you say, what in the world does that mean? Well, it's a fancy way of describing the instinct that we have as fallen people to believe the worst things about people with whom we disagree. Now, you have to admit, I don't, wouldn't think that there hasn't been one person in here that's never done this. We all have done this probably multiple, you may have done it today. You cannot tell me when you were growing up, if you were a sister and you had a brother, that you'd ever thought the worst about your brother when he said or did something, right? It has to be true. As parents, your kids get in trouble, they make a habit of it. What are you thinking every time that, you know what, you're believing. When they, you know what? Yeah, you did it. I'm spanking you. I don't care whether you really did it or not. You probably deserved it anyways, right? So, I mean, we believe. We have we have this propensity to believe the worst things about people, especially when we disagree with them. Now, let me tell you an extreme story where that... Now, confirmation bias doesn't always come to extreme examples, but this is one of them. In the 2016 election, conservatives were primed not to like, at that point, Secretary of State Hillary Clinton. Some were convinced that she was part of an elaborate... um, scheme to hack emails of the chief of staff because they were working together on a secret child trafficking ring. That, that's what was going around. 
and would clandestinely meet at a Washington, D.C. pizza shop. Now, that's what they thought of Hillary Clinton. The truth was that none of it was true. She wasn't meeting with them. She wasn't hacking anyone's emails over it. And they never met at the pizza place. But that didn't stop people from spreading that misinformation because some of them, because they disliked her so much, they wanted it to be true. Now, let me tell you how sometimes it works out. There was a guy named Edward Welch. Because of his dislike for Hillary and the information and the rumors that spread around her, he walked into that pizza place where she'd never had been with a, with a, a gun and started shooting as much as he could. Now, he must have been a horrible aim because he shot a lot of things but never hit anybody. They finally wrestled him to the ground and he was arrested and is in jail to this day. But, but let me tell you this. It was all based on information and stories about things that weren't even factual. But he never checked up to see whether any of it was any tr- ever true. Confirmation bias drives people to believe the worst about those they disagree with. Hold your finger here and turn to 1 Corinthians. I have a test and, and I would encourage you, I'm going to ask you to, before you post anything of a serious nature on the internet, I would like you to read this passage first. Now, this is one that's usually used for weddings. But I want to use it for this purpose tonight. Let me ask you, if you could say these traits of love are true about the words that you're going to post, then I would say go ahead. Ready? Love is patient and kind. So you waited... So you, you didn't post anything out of anger, and you did it, and the things that you were going to say are kind. And by the way, kindness is rarely deserved. Or, second trait, love does not envy or boast. So, I want to be nice here. So you're not going to post anything, and listen to me, primarily about yourself to make yourself look great. I'll stop right there. Um... It's not rude. And the word rude means to keep account of wrongs. In other words, you know, that, that's too many times for you saying stuff that, you know, unchallenged. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to put you in your place. Uh, it does not insist on its own way. In other words, it doesn't think that I'm always right and you have to do it my way or see it my way. Otherwise, there are no alternatives. It's not irritable or resentful. In other words, you said this, now you've did it, that's the last straw. Resentful, that you know, you're holding a grudge or you're angry or vengeful against the person who said something you didn't like. It doesn't rejoice at wrongdoing. In other words, I don't get happy when you say something wrong and you get tagged for it. But rather rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, listen to it, believes all things. Now this is not about being naive. What believes all things, in my interpretation, is this, that you believe the best in someone until you have, should know otherwise, until I have facts. So if you come up to me and tell me at church, you say, Pastor Walker, so-and-so said, to me, said this to me, and I've had this happen. So-and-so, they said this and they did this, and I would say, I don't believe that. I don't believe that until I, I'm going to go ask them, okay? So you tell me they said this, and let me t- tell me straight what it is again. And then I'm going to go ask them. You stick by this story, right? 
and say, I'm going to go ask them. You know why? Because I know that person, and I don't think they would say or do that. But I'm going to go ask them, and if they said they did, then I'll come back and tell you that. But you know what the average thing? Most people say when they hear a little bit of gossip or someone's going to slander someone or say something, you know what they say? Oh, yeah, it doesn't surprise me. Yeah, I knew. I figured that. Can you believe that? And then they go tell four or five other people. That's not what love does. Love says, doesn't rejoice in truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hope all things, endures all things. I don't think there's much endurance taking place on social media. Love never ends. Never ends. So one of the things that we need to practice is realizing that we have this bent toward confirmation bias, that we like to see the wrong things in people. And so we especially if we're ones who are disagreeing with them. The second one is a concept called groupthink. Groupthink is groups of people come to consensus about something or someone without hearing or being willing to listen to an alternative idea. And it happens on the internet all the time. So internet people get together and they make a saying and they come to a conclusion about someone and this is what they think about them and it gets widespread and because people on the internet say it, here's what we think. Well, if they say it on the internet, it must be true, Right? Please, don't be so foolish and undiscerning. People are saying stuff on the internet does not make anything true. You need to research it for yourself. And to make sure that you have the facts before you post things about people, especially their family or their character. This all results, my last point, in what I, what is, and I don't call it this, but I, in a cancel culture, it, it, it results in this. There's no room for forgiveness anymore. Uh, we have news that comes instantaneously. We are, therefore, guess what? I get this news instantaneously. I get it all the time. And guess what our natural response is? That we're going to express our opinions instantaneously. So people read this on the thing and they, someone types this out. And then you know what you have to think? Well, I'm going to type something right back. Don't ever do it. I, I've announced this before. I'm re-announcing it. Ready? If you ever text me or email me anything of a serious nature, I will not email or text you back. Not because I'm rude or I don't care but I will not have conversations about things that matter over a text or email because you can't see their face, you can't understand their tone of voice, and you don't even know what the words mean half the time. So you, you, here, let me just tell you, if you're concerned about something in the church, and I'm all for talking about anything, you come and see me about it and see me, or at least call me on the phone or come and see me in person and say, Pastor Walker, here's a concern. I think this is happening or this is happening. But you come and see me. Because I'm not texting or emailing you about it. Because what we ought to do is think about what we're doing. And, and if I did get a text, I'm not going to text you back very quickly, even in responding. And I, I, I know I don't respond very long anyways. But he, here's why. Because instantaneous reactions to information is a lot of times very, very bad. It can be good having instantaneous information responding because you get emergencies, natural disasters, and all kinds of other things. It can be good, but it can also be very bad because we have done the opposite that James 1.19 says. Remember James 1.19 again? Let me read it. Be swift to hear or quick to hear, slow to speak, slow to rap. Now, what you do on the internet half the time is the reversal of that, right? More times we are slow to hear, quick to speak, and quick to wrath. We get so angry at people making comments we get so quick to talk and we want to write words back to them. And we're very slow to hear what they're trying to say. And you don't really know what they're trying to say on the internet because you can't see their face. You don't hear their tone of voice. And you don't even know really what their words altogether mean. But we're so quick to respond to all that. 
And that results in what has been called by many experts an online shame culture. Listen to this indicting statement. I'll close. David Zoll said this, that the online shame culture on the internet is Christianity with all the forgiveness sucked out of it. And a lot of times, I hate to say to my embarrassment, a lot of people who call themselves Christians have no room for forgiveness for anyone. I'm not saying the things that people say are often nice or that they're sinful things at times. But I go back to saying this, what ought to mark our words and our response to people are the things that are marked by love that we read in 1 Corinthians 13. So rather than cancel those people out of our lives when we disagree with them and have no expression or very little of forgiveness or patience at any of those things, Jesus would say, this is how you should view them when they talk like that. They are people who are made in the image of God and they have made sinful choices in the things that they have said. Listen, just like I have at times. Remember our survey? How many of you have ever said things you regret? It's not just people saying it to you. You do it. Two-thirds of everybody said they put things on the internet they wish they didn't do. So please, don't be so quick to point the finger. Be quicker to look in the mirror and say, hey, I can't say I've never talked in ways I shouldn't have talked, said things to people I never should have said it. I should never have posted that. I didn't even know you meant that. Have you ever had to apologize because you thought you knew what they meant and it meant something completely opposite? Listen, as Christians, as a, we serve a God who speaks, and he speaks in love when he speaks the truth, and how he speaks and how he's slow to anger, one of his greatest attributes, we need to emulate him because we too are made in his image. And I hope God, to God you'll evaluate some of the things and the time you spend on the internet and how you use social media, and, and God forbid that you continue to, at times, say the things that we say because we are God's representatives, and our words should demonstrate it. Let's close in prayer. Father, help us. Help us to take the principles from these verses that we've read tonight from Scripture and apply it to our lives. It is a blind spot in a lot of our lives as Christians. Um, Lord, we get so passionate, so angry, so easy about things um, and Father, we say things and talk to one another as members in the same family of God at times that are just downright sinful and wrong. And there's no, no one trying to apologize, very little forgiveness given, and very little initiative to make things right. Father, we're not following your word, your words. You have spoken to us and you've told us very explicitly how to use our tongue and the words that we should do and use and how we should treat people. Father, help us to reconsider those truths and seek to be more obedient to them for your glory and for the good of others. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.